0: Many years ago, I used to work at a hardware store. It was a long time ago. You've probably never heard of it. Uh, But one of my jobs at the hardware store where I worked was I took care of the paint inventory. In fact, our hardware supplier had a little test that I had to pass, and I, I passed that test, and I was allowed to wear a little pin on my shirt that said that I was a paint expert, please. Hold your applause. Now, part of that job was to stock the paint supply. And and we kept a lot of paint, most of it in gallons. And those gallons of paint would come in in boxes of four. Four gallons each. I don't know how much they weighed, but you could carry one, maybe two of those to, to where we stored it. And for some reason, we stored them upstairs. So you had to carry all of those upstairs and put them away. And as the need came, you had to go up and bring those Boxes of four gallons each back down. Now, there's one thing I remember really clearly about those boxes of paint. Each one of them had a word on the side of the box. The word was team. And then underneath the word team was their definition of what team stood for. T-E-A-M stood for together each accomplishes more. Team. Together each accomplishes more. And I always liked that. I thought it was a nice motto. I thought it made a a great point because there in the hardware store, we might have been doing different jobs. There were those of us selling hardware. There were those of us selling plumbing supplies. There were those of us out back who were selling lumber. There were people off hauling shingles and, and other building supplies out in different places. Each of us doing our individual job, but together each accomplished more. We were greater than the sum of our parts. And I would think about that Very often, as I was carrying all that paint upstairs all by myself. Together, each accomplishes more. Today is National Back to Church Sunday. It's kind of a special Sunday. It's kind of a homecoming, in fact. And it's a chance for us to gather, sing, and meet new friends and and celebrate together, welcome people. and, And I think it's a chance for us to reflect. On why we do this in the first place. Why are we here in the first place? What is the point? I mean, is this just about my faith? Is it just about your faith? Is it just about this church or or that church? Is it just about individual believers coming together? Or is it something bigger? Is it about being together and how together each accomplishes more? We're going to look at this passage today in Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 37. It talks about what happened when the early church came together. If you want to follow along in those blue Bibles in front of you, it's on page 912. If you brought an iPhone or an Android even with you today and you have the U Version Bible app, you can follow along there. All of my notes are available on the U Version app this morning. This passage occurs right at the beginning of the book of Acts. It occurs at the beginning of the, the life of the church when things were just starting out, when they were starting to get things done. This passage doesn't have a single command in it. There's not a single command in here that says, if you're a church, this is how you have to do it. That doesn't exist here. Instead, what we have is an example of what they did, how they loved others, how they cared for others, how they responded to the needs in the church and the needs in their community. We have an example of how together each accomplished more. But we also have examples of how together our church accomplishes more. Let me read beginning in verse 32 of Acts chapter 4. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all, And there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, Joseph, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. The passage starts out by telling us that the church had everything in common. But, but what does that really mean? What, what should it mean for us? I think it's a great example of what it means to be together. What it means to be together with the same heart. It's the first thing that we're told about the church in the very first verse here. The full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. But what does that really mean? One heart and soul. I, I don't think it meant that everybody looked the same, acted the same. I don't think it meant that everybody was a, was a clone of each other, that they all had the same feelings, the same concerns, the, the same motivations. That, that kind of uniformity is not natural. We don't see that kind of uniformity around us. Nature doesn't have that. We don't have that. Your, your fingerprints are different than mine. Snowflakes are different. Nature In nature, everything is different. We don't see that in others. We're all different, so it must mean something else. It's not about uniformity. I think what it's expressing is that there was a fundamental solidarity in their love for each other. That there was one thing that bound them together and that drove them to care for each other. One thing that was shared by them all. It was part of their very being. It was part of their heart it was part of their soul and what was that one thing it can be nothing less than their mutual love for Jesus Christ their mutual commitment to him as their savior their mutual commitment to him as their lord uh, that led them to have a mutual commitment to each other years after this occurs in acts chapter 4 the apostle paul wrote a letter to one of the churches that supported him and cared for him that That letter went to the church in Philippi. We call it Philippians today. The Philippian church was an interesting church. They were a church that was divided. They were a church that was at odds with each other. They were about ready to split because there were two women in that church who couldn't agree on anything. Can you imagine such a thing? And so what does Paul say to this church that is experiencing disagreement? He says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 2, he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Paul's call there in Philippians two two is for that church to go back to the very thing that had united the church since the beginning, their love for Jesus. That's the love that we have for each other reflected In the way that we, the love that we have for Him reflected in the way that we love each other, in the same way that He loves us, that we would love each other and that we would love those outside the church that way. And in that respect, it's not simply together in the same heart, but it's also together with the same grace. The passage begins with that unifying note of heart and soul. And then He continues. And we're told of the amazing things that the apostles were doing. Verse 33 says, And with great power the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. These men, these apostles, who had walked with Jesus, who were appointed by Jesus to lead the church, who were gifted to lead the church, who, who had that authority from Jesus. We continue to look up to them. The apostles are our heroes in the faith. We, we look up to Peter, we look up to John, we look up, up to Paul and the others. There are heroes in the faith, but even here, in the very beginning, it's not just about the apostles. It's about what they all shared and what we continue to share. Verse 33 goes on and says, and great grace was upon them all. Great grace. The Bible tells us that it is grace that saves us. It's not our own goodness. It's not what we're able to do for ourselves. It's not our own ability. It is grace. It is a gift from God. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's grace. Grace tells us that that we don't dare condemn someone else just because they sin differently than we do. but, But that we're all equal. And here in the very beginning of the church, great grace was upon them all. As much as we might think everyone was impressed with the apostles and their teaching, the apostles and their, and their miracles, we can't miss that grace made an impact on their world. Back then in first century Jerusalem, you, uh, you didn't have that concept of grace in the public. You didn't have that concept of grace on the streets. Back then, you were judged by who you were and by what you had done. In their world, you had to jump through hoops to be accepted by others. If you were different in any way, if you were a foreigner, you were judged for that. If you were disabled, you were judged for being disabled. If you were poor, well, then God obviously had something against you. If you were trapped in your poverty and your sin, you were looked down upon but something different was happening in the church. They extended the same great grace to everyone, the same gift, the same forgiveness. I'm not going to stand here and tell you this church does that perfectly. In fact, I can stand here and tell you that I don't do that perfectly. I, for one, don't do that perfectly. But I can also tell you about criticisms that I hear every now and then. And it wasn't too long ago that I heard a criticism of us. And the criticism was this, we were too gracious. I actually heard that, that we had shown someone too much grace. And you know, if that's a criticism that we get, I'll wear it as a badge of honor. I'll take that kind of criticism and I'll be pleased because that tells me we're doing something right. In Matthew chapter 9, Jesus is being criticized by the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day. And in verse 11, it says, the Pharisee said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And then Jesus heard about it. And he said, who are those? He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Jesus was criticized for showing too much grace. If we're criticized for showing too much grace, I think we're in good company. And that points us to the other thing we see the church in Acts sharing, and it's something that we continue to share also. Because of Jesus' gift of grace, we are together. And we are together with the same mission. Verses 34 and 35, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it all at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. If you were to ask members of this church what our mission is, if you were to ask what our mission is here, I would hope they would answer with three little words. Three little words that they've heard over and over again. Three little words that we spend a lot of time talking about and we come back to every now and then. And those three words are gather, grow. I'm seeing some lights come on. Serve. Gather, grow, and serve. We gather like we're doing today. We gather to worship. We gather to encourage each other. We gather to pray. Sometimes we gather to eat, and those are great days when we get to gather to eat. We grow. We open our Bibles. We open our hearts. We want to grow in Christ's love. We want to grow in His image. And we serve. We want to serve others. We want to serve our community. We want to serve our world. We want to serve Christ. We want to show his mercy, His grace. Gather, grow, and serve. We do our best to focus on those three things as our mission. And it's so easy to get that serve part backwards. It's so easy to get our mission backwards and, and to think that we need to be served. Sometimes there's a mentality in churches. Sometimes there's a mentality that, where people think of church membership kind of like country clubs membership. Now, I've never been a part of a country club. I probably wouldn't be allowed to be a member of a country club. I don't think I'd want to be part of a club that would have me as a member, to be honest with you. Uh, But but when it comes to country club membership, you you pay your dues. You pay your dues and someone takes care of you. And sometimes we think church is kind of like that. I pay my dues. Somebody takes care of me. Somebody feeds me. Somebody teaches me. Somebody entertains me. And And when I make a mess of my life, somebody cleans me up. And if they don't, I find another country club down the road. That's not our mission. Our mission is that together, each would accomplish more. That together, our church should accomplish more. And we can never forget that. Statistics tell us that in the previous decade, from 2000 to 2010, nine out of ten churches in America, nine out of ten churches failed to grow at the same rate as their community. And in fact, churches and communities that were in decline like Kansas Illinois, churches and communities that were in decline declined at a faster rate than their community. And part of the part of the problem is a mentality that says I need to be served. I need my needs met. And when that becomes our mission, then who's caring for the needs of the others in the community? Who's there for the poor? Who's there for the hurting? Who's there for the addicted? Who's there for the tired and the sick? Who is serving them? The passage goes on and gives us a, a for instance. Verses 36 and 37 is about a man named, uh, a man named Joseph, who the, this, the apostles called him Barnabas. Barnabas means son of encouragement they said of this man that encouragement is literally in his DNA encouragement is in his makeup he is all about encouragement and they say of joseph says thus joseph who was called by the apostles barnabas which means son of encouragement a levite a native of cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles feet and again there's no command here okay there's no command that says if you own a field you've got to come and get you know sell it and bring bring the money to the church it, it doesn't say that at all there instead what we're seeing is that people took the grace of jesus christ seriously and when they took the grace of jesus christ seriously they gave they served i can give you for instances i can give you for instances at kansas christian church of of gifts that have been poured out to families that are hurting i can tell you about people who have groceries in their homes in their refrigerators now because of our generous buckets their pantries are filled because of our generous buckets and the way that we've shared. I can tell you about people whose cars have been repaired because somebody else gave. I can tell you about homes that have been repaired because someone in this church showed up to do work on those homes. I can tell you about rides to the hospital. I can tell you about meals after surgeries. I can tell you about cards and prayers. I can tell you about people that know they are cared for. that They know peace and they know love because of this church. Because the people of this church take seriously that call, that mission, to gather, grow, and serve. Back in the 1800s in England, there was a man by the name of Charles Bradlow. And Charles Bradlow was an atheist, and he was a leader in what was called the atheist clubs in England in those days, back in the 1800s. They had atheist clubs, just like you'd have a Lions Club today, or you might have, a, might have Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. They had clubs that would get together to discuss atheist ideas. They would come together and they'd talk about atheism. They would talk about how much better their world would be if there were no faith, if there were no Christians, if, if no one had this notion of God. Charles Bradlaugh was a leader in the atheist clubs. And down in the slums of London was a preacher, and his name was Hugh Price Hughes And Hugh Price Hughes ran the soup kitchens. He ran the what their equivalent of the homeless shelters in that day. He took in the, the rejected, he took in the addicted, he took in the drunk, he took in the, the, the criminals that had been released from prison. He took in all of those that society had thrown away and he tried to make their lives better. And at one point, Charles Bradlow challenged Hugh Price Hughes a debate. He wanted to debate him. And the topic of the debate was, is Christianity valid? Is there any reason to believe the claims of Christianity? All of London waited. They wanted to hear this debate. They wanted to be there to see what was said. And Hughes accepted the debate. But he made one proposal. He says, we ought to bring physical evidence of the validity of our claims. So I will bring with me 100 men and women who have benefited from my teaching. 100 men and women who used to be addicts, who used to be drunks, who used to be bums, who, who, who used to be the, the, just the dredges of society. But because of the teachings of Christianity, they are now leaders in their community. They are now upstanding citizens. I will bring 100 people who have that benefit from my teaching. You bring 100 people who have the same benefit from your atheist teaching. And then he went back and he said, you know, if you can't bring 100, just bring 50. Just bring 50 atheists who are better people today because of your teaching. 50 people who have changed their lives, who have become upstanding members of society because of your teaching. Uh, that, that'll be fine. 50 will do. And then he said, you know what? Just bring 10. Just bring 10 people. 10 will be plenty. Bring 10 People whose lives are filled with great joy, whose lives are filled with self-respect as a result of your teaching. And then finally, Hughes said, just bring one. Just bring one person. Everyone in London waited. Everyone in London waited for for, uh, Bradlow's response and wondered what would happen. Well, what eventually happened was that Charles Bradlow, uh, he withdrew his challenge (laughs) He did not want to meet Hugh Price Hughes with, 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 under those circumstances. He withdrew his challenge for the debate. I could point to people in this room. I'm not going to. <laughs> but I could point to people in this room who are not the same as they used to be. I could point to people in this room who were addicts, who were lost, who were struggling, but Jesus Christ changed their hearts and He changed their lives. And today... They know forgiveness, they know they are saved, they know they are loved, and they know they are a valuable part of this church, and they're part of the same mission to bring the same grace to others. Together, each accomplishes more, together, our church accomplishes more. Now over the course of the next six weeks, I'm going to be preaching a little series of sermons based on this book by Tom Rainer. The The title of the book is I Am a Church Member. It is a very small book. You could read it in no time at all. A few months ago, our elders went through this book. We took it chapter by chapter. We read through it. We discussed it. We prayed through it. And when we got done, they said, we want to hear sermons based on what we've learned here. We want to share that with everybody. Everyone ought to hear the message of I Am a Church Member. So over the next six weeks, we'll be doing that. It's an opportunity for us to understand what it is we're committing to when we commit to a church. What it is we're committing to when we commit to each other. Because we are part of a church. Together, we accomplish more. Together, we can do more. Together, we can give of ourselves more. And Jesus Christ will be glorified more. And we would love to have you be a part of that also. Please stand and pray with Father, we thank You. We thank You that heart and soul, You have changed us. Lord, we could point to just how miserable we were before You. Maybe we weren't miserable, but Father, we were lost. We were directionless. We we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know what we were doing. And someone told us about Your grace. Someone shared that with us. Maybe someone invited us to church. And that made a, a huge difference in our lives. Father, we thank You for this family of faith that has shown us this kind of grace and this kind of love. We've got a, a world of people that we love, a world of people who, who are on the outside who need to be brought in. We have a world of people in our community and our families that uh, that need to know You and won't know what we can do together. And so, Father, I pray that through the way that we love, through the way that we commit, the way we gather, grow, and serve, through the way that we show that grace, that great grace, that they would be able to come to know You, and that Your Son would be glorified, and that He would become their Savior. To His glory we pray this. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.